Here's your host, Alex Garrett. And indeed, we are here. It's Thursday. It's, uh, what, May 13th. And something big happened last night, which my next guest will definitely want to comment on, because I have online with me someone you might have heard on the radio dial, actually, on the John Gambling Show, Auto Lab, Robert Sinclair. He's the public affairs uh, manager for the AAA Northeast region. Robert, thanks for joining my podcast after joining the big wigs. <laughs> well, I'm honored to be with you. Thanks very much for having me. So let's talk about this because, you know, I do adapting with Alex Garrett, and this is a big adaptation to the higher gas prices and the disaster that Colonial Pipeline could have been. So AAA's role in the gas uh, price world, tell us that. Firstly, start from there, really. Well, we have the AAA Gas Prices website that monitors gasoline prices, averages them from more than 150,000 stations nationwide, and uh, that's updated daily, usually about 3 o'clock in the morning after uh, prices are compiled from uh, the last uh, credit card swipe at all those pumps across the country uh, close to midnight. And uh, gives you average prices for uh, all 50 states and for, well, I forget the number of metro areas, but uh, quite a few of them. And it's an excellent source of information so that folks can know what prices are and what they could or should be paying. And uh, it's really illustrative, too, of the fact that there's a wide variation in pricing for gasoline sometimes, uh, known as zone pricing where the same brand of gasoline, the same grade of gasoline can cost you know, 25, 30, 40 cents different uh, at stations that might only be a mile or so away from each other. And it's just a fascinating market. There's information on there about how to save gasoline. There's information on the website about uh, the market forces that affect the price of crude oil and gasoline. It's uh, a very, very complex market. And we, uh, do uh, what we can to try and keep track of it and provide information for the consumer. Whenever we talk about rising gas prices, I do feel like sort of a running joke is everybody goes to New Jersey from New York to deal with that. Yeah. So why is that, though? I've never understood why New Jersey actually has lower prices than we do here in New York. Well, I, I hate to uh, burst your bubble, but that is no longer the case. In fact, uh, New Jersey's average sometimes can be higher than uh, the surrounding areas in the tri-state because of the tax increase that they had on gasoline going back, oh, I think it's three years now, um, where the tax on gasoline is New Jersey is indexed into the amount of revenue uh, that is collected. Um, if they collect a uh, billion dollars or more, the taxes stay relatively the same as they did in 2019. Um, but from last year, um, revenue was down significantly because people drove so much less. So there have been some substantial gas tax increases in New Jersey uh, over the past three years uh, that have taken the state to a place where it's not really competitive. You know, gasoline might even be cheaper in Long Island now than it is in New Jersey because of those recent tax hikes. Previously, that was the reason that gasoline was so much cheaper in New Jersey, because the taxes were lower. But uh, those days are unfortunately gone. Thanks to uh, Murphy, right? 
Well, I, I think it was prior. It was the the uh, the legislature, and not necessarily in particular governor. But I think it happened when uh, Chris Christie was governor. But has to do with the infrastructure, with the needs in the state. Uh, the federal government has been remiss in uh, getting funds together for uh, an infrastructure improvement, and I believe the number is now 32. A uh, number of states that have unilaterally raised their gasoline tax in order to have sufficient funding to pay for infrastructure improvements. Um, normally, this would be done through uh, the gasoline tax, which I believe is 14.8 cents and has not gone up since Bill Clinton was president. Uh, there's a, dis a distinct distaste for raising the federal gasoline tax, and so the states have had to go off on their own and do it. Uh, absent any uh, additional support from the federal government. Of course, there's a lot of talk now about a infrastructure bill uh, from the Biden administration and how that would be paid for. Uh, AAA has advocated for a slight increase in the federal gasoline tax for many, many years now. Uh, it has not yet happened. And uh, we need to do, do something. Would that, how would that help, I guess, if not... Would that help the consumer and the actual auto industry, or what would the federal increase help with? Why are you guys advocating for that? The federal gasoline tax funds the Federal Highway Administration's trust fund, which, unlike many state funds, highway trust funds, is a lock, locked box. Uh, the money collected can only go for uh, highway projects, or at least 90% of the money. 10% like is set aside for... Uh, something called, I believe, rails to trails, where uh, former railroad right-of-ways are turned into bicycle and walking trails. A good thing. Uh, but 90% of that money goes to fix the roads and the bridges across the country. Um, the, 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 the Highway Trust Fund in New York, for example, gets raided, and uh, money goes uh, to different projects from it um, and to the point where uh, you have to borrow money for the State Highway Trust Fund and the interest being paid now on that borrowed money is nearly equal to the money that is spent on roads and bridges. So that's a, a formula for um, how not to do it. But the feds still have that in place. So uh, an increase in that federal uh, that federal uh, gasoline tax would go a long way to help roads and bridges. And it's because of the amount of gasoline that gets burnt in earned in this country, it would be a significant amount of money, a penny. I, I had our accountant do the math. I believe a penny increase in the federal gasoline tax would increase the amount of revenue available by more than $1 billion. One cent would equal $1 billion. One cent increase per gallon. So, uh, you know, two or three cents, you'd have a, a significant amount of money. We need a lot more than a billion dollars, of course, to do what we need to do, but it would be... Uh, a step in the right direction. Robert, speaking of taxes, I'm with Robert Sinclair of AAA. Speaking of taxes, I know we talk about we're going to talk about gas a little, in a little bit, but this congestion pricing—it's like a war now, right? So, the, New York has it now. There's now New Jersey wants to tax non-New Jersey residents. I mean, are you following this? What what's going on? It feels like there's a bit of a war now between New Jersey and New York when it comes to congestion pricing, which of course is a tax as well. Well, the problem with the congestion pricing is that uh, we'd offer discounts to those who would be using 
uh, one set of uh, Hudson River crossings and, and not others. It would offer discounts to those who might use uh, Lincoln and the Holland Tunnel and then come into the congestion pricing zone, but not the George Washington Bridge. So uh, that's been uh, the, the sticking point that a couple of uh, Congress members from New Jersey are uh, proposing a bill that would, um, I'm not sure exactly what it would do, to be honest, but it would serve to address, uh, they say, uh, that inequity. Um, we have uh, you know, the opinion that whatever is done, that it must be equitable so that those who are using whatever facility would be uh, getting the same discounts and credits toward uh, the congestion pricing fee that somebody else might be getting. Uh, it's up to the MTA to make that happen. We just want it to happen equitably. Uh, it also must be noted that we don't know what the congestion pricing fee would be as yet. And so we're, we're still waiting to see uh, what that's going to be. And I know There's Biden kind of some... dipped his toes in this, didn't he? I think he kind of encouraged it. I, I don't know. That's what I was reading. Well, he approved it. Uh, it was being held up uh, because of federal approval. The Trump administration had not approved it, and now the Biden administration had. So uh, that cleared the way for uh, it to move ahead. Uh, the technology has been selected. Very interestingly, uh, the, the readers, the license plate readers, I was reading uh, the company's website. It said that uh, it can read a license plate going through uh, one of its license plate readers of a vehicle that was traveling in excess of 195 miles per hour. Uh, I hope no one tries that. But... Uh, it was interesting to see that uh, the technology. Down, down like Fifth Avenue or something that big. Yeah, that would be very interesting. <laughs> yes, it would. Hey, you know, I always wondered if gas prices and politics played hand in hand, and it kind of does, right? So, is it people on the right are blaming Biden? People on the left are blaming the pipelines. Like, <laughs> why is gas price rising? Is it is it a mix of both? What what's going on? The administration, whoever's president, has usually little or nothing to do with the price of gasoline. Uh, there are no federal price controls on gasoline. So uh, for somebody to blame you know, the new president for gasoline prices going up, it's, it's just misguided, incorrect. What is happening is that we're seeing this uh, significant rebound in demand from what was happening during the pandemic year of 2020. You have to remember that gasoline consumption dropped by about 75% last year. And with it, price. It's old high school economics. You know, demand goes up, price goes up, demand goes down, price goes down. So we saw demand drop. We saw gasoline prices drop to below $2 a gallon for a national average last year. Now things are coming back. People are driving more. Uh, and with that more demand, with that increased demand, uh, comes increased price. But beyond that, um, and the oil and gasoline market is a global market and extremely fickle. Uh, what we've been seeing um, probably since the beginning of the year is a lot of investment money pouring into crude oil and wholesale gasoline futures. Investors are seeing the effectiveness of the vaccine and speculating that Americans will get back behind the wheel, start driving again, and that'll send the price of gasoline up. And if you've got investments in gasoline and oil, that will send the value of your investments up. So that's part of the reason we're seeing the increase in crude oil and in gasoline. 
Uh, these are globally traded commodities on the open market. You can buy gasoline futures and crude oil futures. And when the money goes into that, like any investment, more people buy into it, the price goes up. No, and Robert, that's reflected at the pump. Robert, it's interesting because I remember Texas, our, one of our own states, and uh, one state, Texas, was third in oil production, you know, just a couple of years ago. What happened with that? Mm -hmm. And why aren't we looking for our own oil resources? I mean, that's always seems to be a controversial question because of fracking and whatnot, but why aren't we looking right. for our own oil resources? Well, depending on what day it is, the United States is nipping tuck with Saudi Arabia being the number one crude oil producing nation in the world, um, upwards of 10 million barrels per day. And a large part of that recently, the increase has come as a result of fracking, as you say, in the northwest Permian Basin area of Texas and the Bakken fields of North and South Dakota. So we are a premier crude oil producing nation. The fracking process is one that's not the best for the environment, that it uses a lot of water in order to uh, pressurize the grants gets injected down into the ground and fractures, where the term comes from, the, uh, the earth releasing uh, uh, the oil that might be trapped in sponge-like pockets uh, beneath, the, uh, beneath the surface of the planet as opposed to uh, other crude oil uh, sources that are in like giant underground pools or caverns. So we have a lot of crude oil. And in fact, we export a significant amount of crude oil and gasoline, uh, especially to uh, Central and South America and particularly to Mexico. So uh, we have lots of crude oil. How we get it might not be the best environmentally, but it's there. Robert, you know... <laughs> I'm going to ask you about the $5 uh, by Memorial Day. Could we get there? Could gas get to $5 by Memorial Day? That's my fear anyway. That, that we're Ooh, that. I, don't, I think that would be an overblown worry. You know, $5 <laughs> might be out of the question. The 315 is the more likely scenario. We are now officially over $3 a gallon for the national average. We went over yesterday, and today we're at 302 uh, We've been past that number in New York City. We're at 315 Today in New York City and all the uh, tri-state region area is above $3 a gallon, which is a particular point, pain point back in 2018 during a good economy. We did a survey of drivers and 40% said they would have problems paying for gasoline when it hit $3 a gallon. They'd have to cut back on driving, delay making a major purchase, you know, not eat out, those kind of things. They just didn't have the elasticity in the family budget to be able to afford $3 a gallon gasoline or above. That was doing a good economy, Alex. And the economy ain't so good right now. So I can imagine the pain must be even worse for many drivers. And maybe it's above 40% now that are having problems paying for $3 a gallon gasoline. And unfortunately, we're there. I think uh, some of these uh, predictions of 4 and $5 a gallon gas, that, that's only going to happen in case of some sort of crisis and that again would probably only happen in that crisis at some uh, unscrupulous retailers because we have lots of gasoline in storage and inventory as it's called upwards of 230 240 million barrels multiplied by 42 to get the number of gallons it's, it's a significant amount and probably 
probably amounts to probably 15 to 20 days worth of usage in this country. So if we entirely stopped producing gasoline today, we would still have enough gasoline for another 15 or 20 days. But so, there was a big concern about know. that if the Colonial Pipeline was not fixed up. And I'm glad we booked you for today because what a timing, right, mm-hmm. to talk about that. Yeah. Um, because the pipeline is slowly back up and running. I'm sure AAA was monitoring it, but what were your guys' thoughts on it when it first got hacked? Now that we're sort of getting back into normalcy, what what's the recovery time for that pipeline to help out uh, people now so there's no gas lines? Well, it'll probably take another couple of weeks for the pipeline to get fully functioning. Uh, it has to be noted that, uh, well, it carries uh, two and a half uh, million barrels per day, upwards of 100 million gallons. Uh, every day and serves about 45% of the needs of the eastern seaboard. Um, The problems that we saw, though, uh, is particularly in Florida and Tennessee and the Carolinas and Georgia and Virginia, uh, with stations running out of gasoline, had more to do with people panic buying. And putting in plastic bags. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I just... That's that's so crazy and so dangerous. It's just distressing to see the that kind of thing happening. But um, you have to understand that that the the amount of gasoline, the amount of purchasing that was happening at stations in those states, jumped by in some cases two hundred to three hundred percent overnight. There's no supply chain in the world of any product that can deal with a a, a, a doubling or a tripling of demand. From one day to the next, and that's what happened. People went out and started buying in excess of what's normal, and they, you know, the supply chain could not keep up with the increased purchase patterns. So it was a self-fulfilling prophecy with people creating their own problems. They were worried about gas shortages, and they created them by going out and buying gasoline unnecessarily. So it's going to take some time to catch up. There were provisions put in place to resupply those states that were serviced by the pipeline by truck or by maritime delivery. And generally, uh, when you see these kind of problems, it's in landlocked areas like the state of Tennessee, which can run out of gasoline during normal times because it relies 100% on uh, truck deliveries. Uh, and for the people in Florida to be going out and, and uh, purchasing gasoline, making this panic buying was just totally unnecessary. Because Florida doesn't get any oil from the Colonial Pipeline. Florida is 100% served by maritime delivery. It's surrounded by water. There are lots of waterside terminals, so barges and tankers can pull up to those terminals, unload their gasoline into the storage tanks at those terminals, which gets unloaded into trucks, which then go to the retailers. So there was no problem in Florida. The problem was created. The only pipeline in Florida is from Tampa to Orlando. So it's not served by the Colonial Pipeline at all. You didn't see anything about problems in Florida due to the pipeline shutdown was due to panic buying. So now that the pipeline is back up and running, it takes about two weeks for any product, and it carries gasoline, fuel, uh, gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel uh, from Pasadena, Texas, up to Linden, New Jersey. Uh, it takes two weeks for that product to pass uh, from one end to the other with tributaries uh, off the pipeline uh, into various states up and down the eastern seaboard. Um, we in our area didn't have to worry because like Florida, we have a lot of maritime uh, delivery. Uh, we've got lots of waterside terminals. There is, in fact, one 
on Newtown Creek in the shadow of the Pulaski Bridge between Brooklyn and Queens. There's one on Jamaica Bay, uh, Nassau County. There's one out in the south shore of Long Island. And it was, in fact, those waterside terminals that were inundated by storm surge uh, from Hurricane or Superstorm Sandy, which is why we saw gas shortages after that event. So we were protected. We can get uh, gasoline from barges or tankers from the Gulf Coast or from Europe, from uh, the North Sea. Um, so it was just uh, totally uh, the result of panic buying that we saw those shortages in the southern states. And they will be alleviated in the near term in the next few days, next couple of weeks by truck deliveries. And in the long term, as the pipeline gets up and running, uh, 100%. I don't know if you want to comment on it because I'm kind of curious now what AAA's thoughts are on pipelines. I feel like they tend to get very political, you know, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But obviously we're seeing the colonial, the pipeline is necessary. Does AAA have an official statement on them or what their thoughts are or what, even personally what your thoughts are on them? Not necessarily any official statements. There are plenty of pipelines that have been in existence for upwards of 60, 70, 80, 90 years that, uh, uh, go a long way to supplying fuel. Uh, there are fuel oil trains. There are trucks. There's lots of ways that we get uh, uh, product to market. And if you were to look at a map of the various pipelines uh, that are in this country, you would see that it's quite extensive. Where the controversy has come recently is in some proposed new pipelines that would run through sacred areas of the Native people's land or uh, carry a uh, uh, product uh, that is a result of uh, shale oil and fracking. And uh, that's why some people uh, have problems with it. We haven't taken any position that I'm aware of of some of these newer pipelines. Um, but uh, I think that's, that's why uh, some folks are having problems with them. Well, and that's why you guys are great, because you just focus on the roads and not the political mess that, that we see in front of us nearly every day. All right, Robert, one, one thing that I know about you is we used to bring on gambling and all this on the weekends before big holiday weekends, whether it was Thanksgiving, whether it was Memorial Day, July the 4th, it was a weekend. And last year we had you on the Auto Lab and there was really nothing to report because no one was going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. But as Willie Nelson would say, are we going to see people on the road again this holiday season, like this Memorial Day, this July the 4th? What are you guys predicting? Well, in fact, we just came out with our Memorial Day projections on Tuesday, and we're seeing that the total number of people that will be traveling will be 37 million. 90% of those, about 34 million, will be driving to their destinations. Now, that's significantly higher than last year, 60% more than the 23 million who traveled last year when we were just in uh, the beginning throes of the pandemic. Uh, but nowhere near the, the all-time high back in 2005, the good old days of 2005, when 44 million people traveled. Um, but, you know, AAA is uh, one of the nation's largest leisure travel agencies, and we're seeing a lot of bookings for domestic travel, particularly with hotels and rental cars, um, and people are uh, booking to travel to, or, or well, Orlando is number one by far with uh, Disney and the attractions there as main attraction, but they're also going to Vegas. They're going to Hawaii, um, the Carolinas. Um, those that are, are flying, they're going to the Caribbean. So we're seeing that uh, travel is picking up. People are 
booking through uh, the summer of 2021 into the fall and winter of 2021 and on into 2022. River cruises are proving to be very popular, especially in the Mississippi and the Ohio and uh, in Europe and the Danube. Uh, we're not traveling to Europe yet. Uh, the, the European nations, the European Union nations are allowing Americans in. Well, the president of the European Commission has uh, made statements about allowing vaccinated Americans into uh, those nations, nothing official yet. Uh, but people are really eager to get out and travel, and it helps the economy. Uh, it's estimated that four out of ten jobs have some sort of direct or indirect connection to travel. Uh, when people travel, they eat, they go to shows, they shop, they do all sorts of things, they spend money. And that's a stimulus to the economy. So uh, it's good all the way around that people will be able to uh, get out and unwind and bond as a family once again. And Robert, are you on Long some... Island? Are you out on Long Island or where are you based? Uh, our headquarters is in Garden City, Long Island. Because I was going to say Long Island has had the most traffic of any of these places because you guys opened up pretty soon after the pandemic. And by midsummer, it was about 50% and 75%. And I just noticed the traffic there was really picking up well in the middle of the pandemic almost. We have to remember also a lot of people fled New York City and went out to Long Island, bought houses on Long Island to be out in uh, some open air and space and uh, to get out of the city that many perceived as being dangerously crowded and uh, more easily uh, transmitting uh, the virus. And uh, public transportation, ridership on Metro North and the Long Island Railroad is still down probably about uh, 60 or 70% compared to the last normal year of 2019. And those people who aren't riding those public railroads are driving. And that's why you're seeing so much traffic, particularly on Long Island. Personally, Robert, for you, you know, I would say gridlock is a good thing in the sense that it brings people into the city, it means people are coming. For you, as a guy who's been in this for years, was it a bit heartbreaking to see how empty it was during the biggest parts of the year last year in New York City? For me, as a New Yorker, lifelong, it was heartbreaking. What about for you? Well, I was kind of mixed, to be honest, because, yeah, um, yeah, traffic was down significantly last year. It was a, a double-edged sword. Uh, those that needed to travel had relatively empty roads. But would you believe that we saw the largest percentage increase from one year to the next, from 2019 to 2020, in the number of those who were injured and killed on our roadways? More than 42,000 people died in crashes last year, despite so much less driving going on. National Safety Council said that was the that year-over-year -year increase was the greatest since 1924 in terms of percentage. Um, so it was uh, just, you know, a, a bad year for those that were driving. Uh, we also did a study of uh, speed camera tickets in New York City, and uh, uh, from the time from January until when the schools closed in March, uh, there was a certain level, and um, the number of those tickets that were issued from when the schools closed to, I believe it was mid-July, in some cases went up 700%, 800%, particularly at uh, some of the speed cameras on uh, West Street, the west side of Manhattan, and uh, Leroy Street, for example. 
Um, just the open road was the siren song for people to speed and crash. And so it was, uh, you know, a significant uh, safety problem. Empty roads, believe it or not. It's oh, just I really do. Kept... I'll tell you a couple experiences. Um, uh-huh. I rolled right around New York on one leg, as you've probably seen in photos I sent you. But mm-hmm. I noticed that even in my own neighborhood in Queens, like they just forgot how to drive. Some people just forgot. After being locked down, did you did you notice some of that too? Like it was like, what happened in the last in those few months? They seem to forget to drive how to drive. That's what it seemed like to me. Yeah, I have no statistics to be able to verify, but that which I see through my windshield, so it seems like a whole lot of bad driving is going on, and that's continuing a trend. You know, there. Uh, I just I don't know how to explain it, but. The, it seems that a lot of folks don't know the basic rules of the road. We, in fact, I think it was four or five years ago, issued a press release reminding people about some of the basic rules of the road. Slower traffic, keep right. You see uh, all these slow pokes in the left lane. Uh, roads are engineered such that uh, the left lane is supposed to be the passing lane. It said everybody's in the left lane cruising and the right lane is clear. It's it's backwards. People seem to forget that, uh, you know, it's right on red only where designated, where it's allowed, like Nassau and Suffolk counties. If you're in the city of New York, there has to be a sign saying uh, right on red is allowed. Otherwise, it is not. Um, drinking while driving is increasing. Uh, legalizing marijuana lets more people uh, dying uh, that are testing positive for having marijuana in their system post-mortem. Uh, just a lot of bad driving going on. I think a lot of people have forgotten some basic rules of the road. And uh, like a philosopher said, we need not be taught so much as we need be reminded. And uh, that's necessary. Now, you guys have a driving school, right? That's what I've heard on the radio and all that. Do you guys have a driving school? We have a behind-the-wheel driving school, yeah, where you can uh, be with a AAA instructor in a AAA emblazoned vehicle and learning how to drive from behind the wheel. We also have online refresher courses uh, known as DIP, the Driver Improvement Program, that uh, they're online and they're in person, um, totally online since uh, the pandemic uh, prevented us from having any in-person classes. But uh, the New York State Department of Motor Vehicles certifies the courses as uh, being uh, able to get uh, a discount for your insurance and get points removed from your license. So if you've got a ticket or if your insurance is too high, you can take the uh, online driver improvement program course and save money. One other observation I'd like to maybe ask you is, have you noticed some cars just are driving without any repairs to it? Like, I've just started noticing some cars mm. don't even have any repairs to it. They're dented, their fender's out. I, I don't know, I'm just picking this up. I guess maybe working in the auto lab, I've been more into the car world than I was ever before, but I'm just noticing some people are not fixing their cars right now, but still driving them. Well, uh, I think what I pointed out earlier about the 40% not able to afford $3 a gallon gasoline, there was a report from the Commerce Department, which it was kind of related. It said 40%, again, 40% of the population didn't have uh, the money for an emergency bill. And they were talking about 400 to to $1,000, where they'd have to borrow the money or use credit cards to pay for that emergency bill. 
And the average car on the road in the United States is more than 11 years old. And we've done surveys that found that when you get to 10 years on your car, you have to start making some major repairs. And, you know, you might need an alternator or a transmission repair or fuel pump or some other sort of thing. That More and more people are keeping their older cars, but in order to do so, you have to keep up with the maintenance on those vehicles. And it can get expensive, but it's even more expensive if you don't do these things. You know, vehicle, manu- vehicle manufacturers have uh, maintenance schedules. They say that you need to do XYZ at a certain mileage or years uh, expired as far as uh, your vehicle is concerned. So it's, uh, it's probably something real that you're seeing. Many states have eliminated inspections, um, either uh, safety or even emissions. And what would happen is, I mean, you have to go in here for a yearly inspection or maybe a biannual inspection. And it would be that opportunity for a mechanic, a technician to spot any problems um, without inspections, regular inspections. And we see bad things happen. So years ago, there was a lot of problems with uh, corroding brake lines where the uh, metal lines that carry brake fluid uh, from the master cylinder to the, uh, the brake calipers were rotting and corroding and you would have catastrophic brake failure. As a result, um, rusting exhaust systems, you know, with pipes and mufflers falling off vehicles. Uh, we, in fact, we did a debris study some years ago and found that, uh, you know, 500 people are killed and upwards of 50,000 are injured in crashes as a result of parts falling off vehicles, you know, tires falling off because the lug nuts aren't tightened. You, you catch all those kind of things when you have inspections of so many states eliminating them. These things are getting by. So it's, it's kind of a double, triple whammy that's happening where uh, vehicles that might not be in the best shape are out on the road. And uh, that, that just is something to look out for. And hopefully, uh, well, this is, I, I never thought stimulus uh, packages could affect the auto world, but do they? Like, does that maybe <clears throat> help someone be able to afford a repair or even help the auto industry or what? You know, how have the stimulus has affected people's driving habits, if at all. Well, do you remember cash for clunkers? Yes. I, we were talking about that on the way in the other day. Yes, I do remember that. Yes, yes. That was, oh, how much was it? I think it was $1,700 that people were getting in order to get rid of their old gas-guzzling vehicles. And something like 700,000 people took advantage of the Cash for Clunkers program, was originally budgeted by Congress for $1 billion. I believe they increased it to $3 billion because the program was so wildly successful. And three-quarters of a million people, all it took was $1,700 for them to get off the fence and get rid of their old gas guzzler, which very often was a Ford Explorer, and get a new, more fuel-efficient vehicle, which very often was a Toyota Corolla. So with that experience in mind, I would have to say that maybe the uh, the stimulus package did help. Uh, I did see a report in the news just the other day that uh, a lot of people use their stimulus checks to pay off their credit card debt. And a lot of the credit card companies are crying because they don't get to make money off the interest on those credit cards uh, as a result. 
So, uh, yes, that could be something. How about another Cash for Clunkers program, uh, again, to uh, get more uh, fuel-efficient and, dare I say, safer vehicles out on the road because people haven't been able to pay for maintenance. It's hard to, to imagine, though, if you can't afford to pay for maintaining a vehicle that you could have paid for a new vehicle. But who knows? Uh, the program worked uh, very, very well all those years ago. Robert, now that I think it of might it, work again. now that I think of it, um, in 07, 08, when the economic downturn happened and the recession, all eyes were literally on the auto industry. Do we bail out the big three? How come mm-hmm. the bailout talk, how come the big three weren't as much of a discussion during this pandemic? Like, I didn't hear anything about bailing out our auto industry. Did you? No. In fact, the only thing I heard about the auto industry is that they had to engage in shutdowns of production because they didn't have the, the chips necessary. Right. Um, that was a big deal. Yeah. That, and that was due to the uh, home consumer electronics being so popular because people were working from home. They needed new computers and new whatever devices uh, to be able to work from home. And uh, that's where a lot of the chips were going. And that led to a shortage of chips for the auto industry. And some of the major manufacturers actually had to stop production because they didn't have a sufficient number of chips. So that why wasn't there to, a bailout uh, I'm, I'm just curious. The, uh, that the cost of rental cars and uh, used cars going up. And uh, new cars were uh, not as plentiful. And so the prices for them went up. So why wasn't there a bailout discussed, I guess, is my main question. Why, why do you think there wasn't even a talk about that? A lot, well, they, the, they didn't need it. I mean, the, the car companies were selling every vehicle they could make. They just couldn't make as many. You know, back in 08, when the, the, the Obama administration bailed out, particularly GM, and the GM surged back as a result. They paid back their loans with interest. It was actually... Uh, a great boom to the auto industry back in 08 when that happened and uh, really helped to turn the auto industry around. Um, I so, believed in it at the uh, time. It really I, wasn't necessary this time. I believed in it at that time, to be honest with you. I believed in the bailout at that time. Even that was a controversy. It feels like everything since 07, 08 has been a controversy when it really is just like a simple, yeah, well, let's bail them out when they need help. But anyway, uh, Robert, thank you so much. And, uh, one other thing about the infrastructure, which you brought up earlier, do you think when you talk about wind turbines and chips and everything like that, doesn't that take your eye off the ball of the bridges and roads that so need our help? I feel like it does. What do you think? Well, the American Society of Civil Engineer rates civil engineers rates our overall infrastructure, I believe, as a C, which is up from D minus. And uh, there are lots of parts of infrastructure, um, the electrical grid, which is not very good, um, power generation, um, the uh, utilities, ports, airports, but the main part of infrastructure are roads and bridges. And ours are in poor shape. Um, the Federal Highway Administration issued a report said if you lined up all these structurally deficient and functionally obsolete bridges in the United States end-to-end, they would stretch from New York to nearly Florida. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Uh, There's an organization in Washington, the Road Improvement Program, uh, that talks about uh, pavement quality and 
most of the United States, probably, I believe it's 40 or 50% is in fair or poor condition. Our area, it's 70%. That's in fair or poor condition. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. We have neglected our infrastructure for a long time, and that's why there's, you know, talk of upwards close to $2 trillion uh, to be taken care of. Now, what you're saying is true, that the the bill that they're talking about would include other things other than roads and bridges, but uh, quite a significant portion of it would include roads and bridges. So... Uh, we're watching very carefully as it's uh, debated as to how this would be paid for. As I said earlier, AAA has been advocating for a small increase in the federal gasoline tax for a long term, long time now, to help pay for this. And, uh, you know, going back over the past few years when gasoline was relatively cheap, uh, it would have been more easily absorbed um, into the price of gasoline. Now the gas is expensive. Uh, at least for 40% of the population, it's a, it's a tougher sell. But we need to do something. Uh, that same group, the Road Improvement Program, says the average driver in our area spends an additional $700 every year on vehicle maintenance because of bad roads. That's that's burdensome. You know, we're, we're bursting tires and damaging suspension and steering systems and what have you because of the bad roads and, and drivers are paying for that. I think they'd much rather pay to have better roads and not go through the expense, the inconvenience of their vehicles being out of uh, service because of uh, damage to their vehicles. And also there is a desperate need for auto technicians these days. So because of that also, if something does happen to your vehicle, it could take even longer to get it fixed. Huh. So we've got a lot of work to do. Well, Robert, stay with us as the work gets done. And thank you for not being an alarmist. I think we need less alarmists on the gases and more, you know, uh, realistic. And, and I feel like you guys are bringing a realistic approach to it. So thank you for, for coming on with your realist approach to the gas crisis happening here. No, you're welcome. And thanks very much for having me, Alex. I appreciate it. And we'd love to have you back for sure. Looking forward to it. All right. I'm Alex Garrett, where we're always adapting. Don't freak out. We can adapt, and the gas prices will adapt, too. Don't worry. I'll be right back on Alex Garrett Podcast. Welcome, welcome.